today. So let's be reading that as we work through these verses. But as we come to seek to understand uh, that we might obey God's word, let's pray for his help in doing that now. Let's pray to him. Handed down, not for knowledge alone, but that we might obey. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we study your word, that you have spoken to us through Paul in Romans now, that you would humble our hearts, you would help us to better understand what it means for us to be living sacrifices in response to the mercy you've shown us in Jesus. We ask this for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, when I first came to Malaysia uh, to work here as an apprentice at SMAC, I committed myself to writing a monthly ministry update. And with my complete lack of experience at writing these kinds of prayer letters, the first few that I wrote were pretty dry and boring. It went along the lines of, well, you know, things are quite nice, it's quite sunny, it's Malaysia, and the food's pretty good. So it'd be a little paragraph like that, and then bullet point prayer lists after that. Uh, No real explanation of the ministry that was going on, just please pray for him and her and him and her, and that was it. And thankfully, my pastor back in the UK and the church back there who were receiving these rather dry prayer updates, uh, well, they contacted me, and my pastor encouraged me, look, look, Tim, we love the fact that you are sending these ministry updates to us. We love the fact that you want to partner with us in prayer, and we love praying for you, but could you just give us a bit more? Could you let us know a bit more about the ministry that's going on that you're involved with here so that we, we can have our prayers, you know, they can be a bit better informed as we can be praying for you and your ministry for the gospel in Malaysia. Can you give us a bit more information about when you might be coming back so that you can tell us about these things in person? And I'm told that from that point on, having taken on board that advice, my prayer letters, these ministry updates, were a lot more warmly received. Well, in Romans 15, we have, if you like, Paul's ministry update. And through it, we learn more of what it means to respond to the mercy that we have received from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we've been learning in Romans so far, that God sent his only son, Jesus, the son of God who died for our sins on the cross, for all the ways in which we rebelled against God, as the Lord of our lives, and then rose again so that we could be forgiven our sins through trusting in his death, in the punishment that he took for us at the cross, and in the new life that we see in his resurrection. And unity, service, giving and prayer, which are our headings for our sermon this morning, they all flow from that good news, the gospel, by which we as Christians are saved. And Paul's going to help us to see this in this chapter as he speaks about God's plans, particularly for the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, those who were not descended from God's people Israel that we read about in the Old Testament, and how Paul is spearheading God's plans for the Gentiles, that they might receive the gospel and have life in Christ. So come to our first heading. Gospel unity, and let me read from verse 8. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Paul has just said in the previous verse, in verse 7, you can read it, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You can even read that as actually accept one another. Accept one another as Christ has welcomed you. And Paul knew that if the Jewish Christians in the Church of Rome, and the Gentile Christians in the Church of Rome, thought that somehow either one of them were superior in God's eyes, then that wasn't going to happen. That kind of loving unity in the Gospel was going to be very hard to maintain. So he shows them here to start with that God's intention from the very beginning was to save both Jew and Gentile in Jesus. He starts by saying, Jesus became a servant to the Jews. And that's true. He was the Jewish Messiah. And in his saving work, he has fulfilled the promises that God first gave to Abraham and onward uh, to Isaac and to Jacob, the patriarchs, that through them, And through their offspring, God would establish a new people, freed from slavery to sin, able to have life with God again. But this new people that God was going to create through Abraham and his offspring was never, ever going to consist purely of the Jews, purely of God's people Israel. No, God had told Abraham, even in the first place, that through him all nations would be blessed. We can read about that back in Genesis 12. And in Jesus, the Messiah that did come from Abraham's line, this Jewish Messiah, that is now true. Do you remember what Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 16? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Greek, in other words, the Gentile. Now, the Jews and the Gentiles can glorify God for his mercy, both of them equally, in the gospel. And just in case the Jews wanted to disagree with Paul here, that that, no, it wasn't really God's intention all along for the Gentiles, for the nations to be saved in Jesus, well, Paul gives them evidence from their own scriptures, from the Old Testament here. And there's a progression between each of these Old Testament verses that he lists from verse 9 onwards. Follow them with me. First of all, we've got in verse 9b, he starts, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's from Psalm 18. King David says he will praise God amongst the Gentiles for God's faithfulness to him. The Gentiles aren't actually praising God here. It's King David doing the praising amongst them. But then Paul goes on to Moses in verse 10. He says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is Moses speaking from Deuteronomy. And here, the Gentiles are actually encouraged to get involved in the praising. They are to praise God along with Israel, along with the Jews. 
And the praise again is in response to God's mercy. Thirdly, verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. This is from Psalm 117. And, and now there's no division whatsoever between the Jews and the Gentiles when it comes to praising God for his mercy. All the nations are encouraged to praise God for his steadfast love, the love that we ultimately see in Jesus. And then finally, Paul says in verse 12, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Here is the means by which we Gentiles, most of us are Gentiles here today, we're not Jews, here is the means by which we Gentiles will be included in God's saving purposes, by which we ourselves could glorify God for his mercy to us. Yes, God's saviour for the world would be a Jew. He would be the Jewish Messiah from the royal line of David, the son of Jesse. But this great king would not just rule the Jews. He would be a ruler for the nations as well. One in which all the nations could put their hope. So Paul is saying here, in summary, you Jewish Christians, please recognize that the Gentiles were on God's mind from the very beginning. Before he promised Abraham anything, he planned to bring salvation to the Gentiles too, for the glory of his name. And you Gentile Christians, Christ came as a servant to the Jews. And it is through them and their Messiah, that you have received mercy. We'll be looking at that relationship a bit later. Now friends, Paul might be talking into a a Jew-Gentile situation here, but his concern is for the unity of the church in the gospel. Accepting one another as Christ accepted us. None of us belong here as a result of our own merits. We are God's people here today by his grace to us in Jesus. We were still God's enemies when Christ died for us. No, we are God's people entirely by his mercy to us in Jesus. So we must make every effort to accept each other. With all of our differences, good and bad, we bear with each other in love, understanding we are part of this family of God entirely by his grace in the first place. And friends, I am really encouraged by the ways that I see us doing that constantly here at SMAC, from welcoming newcomers to to just treating one another graciously and seeking to serve one another in love. That's great, because we all share in one hope. One hope, which is life in Jesus, our Saviour and Lord who graciously accepted us when we were sinners. Paul prays that that hope that we share as Christians would abound more and more. Have a look at verse 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul wants the church in Rome to be filled by God with joy 
a continual contentment no matter what the circumstances they're currently going through, as their hope is rooted more and more in Jesus rather than what's going on in our lives. And peace. Uh, The peace that they are to have with one another. Again, only possible as their hope in Jesus grows. This could only be achieved as the Holy Spirit empowered them to be mindful of the gospel, to be living out the gospel. Friends, that's how we should be praying for one another at Smack as well, that we would be filled with that joy and peace that comes from the gospel of Christ by which we are saved. Well, now Paul gets a bit personal. He starts to talk about his role as a servant of this gospel. In gospel service, verse 14. Read me from verse 14. And Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. Paul has said some pretty strong things in this letter. So as he comes to a close, he wants to encourage the church in Rome because they are doing well. Paul says they are, they are full of goodness. He said earlier, back in chapter, uh, chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And they had been making progress in that area. Paul says they are filled with all knowledge. It doesn't mean they knew everything. Why would Paul bother writing to them if they already understood all they needed to know as Christians? Uh, Paul is actually using what we call the, the perfect tense here when he says filled with all knowledge. It means pretty much that they, they have knowledge, but as a result of the knowledge they've received, they're hungry for more. Paul also reminds them that growth in knowledge is so that they might instruct one another. The fact that they are filled with knowledge means that they can instruct one another. That's how we're to use the knowledge that we receive in Christ in a good way. By building each other up in what we understand as Christians. As we are ministered to here at SMAC through the sermons and the seminars, the Certificate in Theology course, our desire should be to lovingly instruct and encourage each other as a body with what we have received, with what we have come to understand. Well, Paul is giving them these encouragements because he knows, as I said, that he's written some pretty challenging stuff through this letter. Verse 15 again, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Well, he rebuked proud Jews earlier in chapter 2 for looking down on the Gentiles even though they failed to keep the law themselves. He has challenged arrogant Gentiles over their pride later in chapter 11 thinking they were more special than the Jews somehow because God had saved them. And even since chapter 12, Paul has challenged them again and again in what a faithful response to the gospel actually looks like. How the gospel should be taking root in their lives. He's done it for their sakes because that was part of his ministry. 
specifically to the Gentiles. To see the Gentiles included in God's saving plans by taking the gospel to them. Let me to verse 16. Paul says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul describes himself like a kind of Old Testament priest, one of the guys that we read about back in the book of Leviticus. But he's not offering up a sacrifice for sins. Of course he's not. That's already been done in Jesus. He's not even offering up the sacrifices that the Gentiles make themselves in in terms of their time or their money and their service. The Paul says he is like a priest offering up the Gentiles themselves to God. He's talking about the Gentiles themselves becoming like living sacrifices as he ministers the gospel to them. And that was his desire to create living sacrifices for God. For God. Paul at no time is seeking his own glory in his ministry as an apostle of Christ. He doesn't want a bunch of groupies following him around, hanging on his every word, nodding all the time, and just taking it all on board no matter what. He's not starting up the denomination of Paul. No, he wants the Gentiles in Rome to be offered to God in a manner pleasing to him for his glory. And we need to be careful especially those of us who have some pastoral responsibility uh, over others, here at Smack or elsewhere, uh, whether you're a growth group leader, or you're involved in some other ministry, we must encourage those that we are seeking to serve in Christ to have their eyes fixed on Jesus more than us. Fixed on Jesus more than us. When they ask us questions Take them to God's word. Uh, Don't tell them what we already understand just because we've understood it. When we make mistakes, we should be honest about them. Show we're not perfect by any means. Mustn't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, I don't know. Must avoid behaving in a way that would promote some kind of worship of us and promote those whom we serve in idolatry. Now we've got to be careful not to create this attitude of dependency on us as we share the gospel with them. Where we are gaining disciples rather than Jesus. Because any fruit that came from Paul's ministry and any fruit that actually comes out of our ministry for the gospel, it is by God's grace. It's all he's doing. It's not ours. We don't deserve the credit for it. So Paul says he can boast. He can boast. He he can even be proud of what he has done in Christ Jesus. You see that in verse 17? In Christ Jesus. Then I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Paul says that all that he has accomplished has been Christ's work through him. So he will only speak of what Christ has done. And 
Christ has done an awful lot through Paul. You read in verse 19, By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, that terribly difficult name to pronounce, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul has been a really busy guy. God had empowered him by his spirit to spread the gospel way beyond the borders of Israel. And through Paul, God had performed what we're told here are signs and wonders, spectacular miracles that show that he had authority as an apostle, a messenger personally sent by the Lord Jesus with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And through these signs and wonders, that gospel was shown to be true. In doing these things, Paul says that he had fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. got a map coming up on the screen. I'm sorry if it's not so clear. But basically, Paul has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel over the entire eastern part of the Mediterranean. You see that large red dot in the top left-hand corner? Okay, that's Illyricum. And then come down to the bottom right-hand corner, that's Jerusalem. All of the landmass, pretty much, between those two points. Well, that is where Paul has said to have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. That's where he has so far accomplished his work. Now, it's not that he's literally spoken the gospel to every man, woman and child living there. That wouldn't be possible. But what he has done, in effect, or what God has done through him, is ministered and planted churches in this area to the effect that anyone living there was within reach of the gospel. They had the opportunity to hear it for themselves. Now, some Christians today would argue that if we, say in KL here over in Malaysia today, if we seek to share the gospel, as Paul was doing, without the accompanying signs and wonders, these spectacular miracles that Paul did in his ministry, if if we aren't doing those things as well, then there is something wrong with our evangelism. It it doesn't really fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ, as Paul says here. We're missing something. But friends, let me just show you what 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, coming from the screen. Here we learn that these signs and wonders that Paul speaks of here were the marks of an apostle. They were the marks of an apostle. Paul writes in this verse, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And friends, we don't have apostles in the James or Peter or John or Paul sense today. This group of disciples that witnessed the Lord Jesus in person and were commissioned to be his witnesses for the gospel from the start. What we have today is we have the apostolic witness to Jesus in our New Testament scriptures, and that is what we base our authority on as we do our evangelism today. But the apostles were a specific group of men set apart by God to lay the foundations for gospel work for the church. 
and signs and wonders, as Paul speaks of here, were the demonstration of their God-given authority. So friends, they are not essential for our gospel witness today because we are not apostles. Of course God can choose to work in spectacular ways when he wants to. He's God and he does. And every time someone actually becomes a Christian, through our witness, a miracle does take place. The Spirit has to convict them of their sin and help them to see Jesus clearly that they might put their faith in him. But miracles that can be seen with our eyes, those are not essential for our witness as Christians today. So Paul, oh we've lost the map, so Paul has covered the eastern Mediterranean, but he has no plans to stop there whatsoever. Come with me to verse 20. Verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never seen will understand. Paul had a priority as an apostle to lay the foundations for gospel work. To take the gospel to areas where there was no witness whatsoever. That was his ambition. And of course there's nothing wrong with building on someone else's foundation. Uh, the churches that Paul had planted needed to be sustained. So he sent some of his disciples, he sent Timothy to Ephesus, he sent Titus to Crete. In order to continue the ministry that God had started through Paul in those places... But even so, there is still a priority to be taking the gospel to the darkest corners of our world. That was Paul's ambition and thankfully that is an ambition that God does lay on the hearts and minds of some of his people today. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose again to be the saviour king for many nations, not just the Jews. Paul sees this verse that he quotes from Isaiah 52, what we had in our Old Testament reading. He quotes here, he sees it as a challenge. Speaks of what would be possible once the Christ, God's Saviour King, had risen. It's coming up on the screen. Let me just read, give you a bit of context to that little verse that we have otherwise in verse 21 of our passage. So we start in Isaiah 52, verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. The Christ shall sprinkle, or in other words, atone for the sins of many, many nations. Many nations. Jesus' saving work can apply to the most far-flung tribes in the deepest areas of the Amazon rainforest. But we don't even have to go that far here in Malaysia, do we? It can apply to the most remote Orang Asli village in the interior. But they need to hear the gospel. 
to understand the good news of Jesus' death for them that they might have life in him. And who will go? Who will go? Could it be that God has been either today or for some time laying this ambition on your heart to take the gospel to those who have not received it? That they might have eternal life in Jesus? From time to time, a group of us will actually go to build relationships with some Orang Asli tribes to, to lay foundations for what we hope will be further gospel work. And we've seen some wonderful fruit from those ministries. People coming to faith in Christ and having life in his name. Maybe you could join us the next time we go. Well, now, it's nice that Paul is sharing some personal details of his ministry with the church, but he's not just going off on a sidetrack here. His ministry and plans have directly affected his relationship with the church in Rome that he's writing to. Have a look in verse 22. Verse 22. Paul says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul knows that the church in Rome desperately wanted to see him. And again and again he hadn't been able to go. That's what he said at the start of this, this letter, back in chapter 1, verse 13. I, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. But here, Paul shows them why. Shows them why he hasn't been able to come to them as they really wanted him to. There have just been too many opportunities to take the gospel where it had not been proclaimed before. And even now, Paul could only manage a passing visit. He was pretty much flying through. Those were his plans, just dropping by to see the church in Rome before he went elsewhere. Because he hopes he will aid, they will actually aid him on his next missionary expedition to Spain. Now, please don't think nice Mediterranean hot holidays or the Costa del Sol or anything like that. Spain was viewed more like the wastelands of Mordor at the moment. That's for, your, for you Lord of the Rings fans. A generally unknown and distant place where few people ventured. You know, it was really the sticks. You know, think Taiping or something. No, I'm joking, Patrick. <laughs> Paul really wanted to visit the church in Rome. But he had a mission that took priority. Friends, there will be times when our leaders cannot meet our expectations. Okay, Not because they're lazy or uncaring, certainly hope not, but because there are other gospel priorities that have to take precedent at that time when you would like to see them. The church in Rome really, really wanted to see Paul. And Paul did want to see them. He loved them greatly. But he could only manage a passing visit. 
you know, the church in Rome was one of the most strategic places for the gospel in the entire Roman Empire. And yet Paul can still say, I can just pass by. I can only come to you on my way to Spain. Now you'd think if Paul was so desperate to get to Spain, he'd be on his way to Rome straight away. But he's not. He's got to make a major detour first. That brings us to our third point, gospel giving. Paul updates them on his current movements, where he is right now and what he's planning to do right now. Verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Paul's priority right now, in that moment, is to take a substantial gift to the church in Jerusalem. Specifically to Christian Jews, those who he calls saints in verse 25, because they were struggling big time. And the churches he had visited recently, the Gentile churches, had been very generous. They had sent Paul a great gift for those struggling Jew Christians in Jerusalem. But Paul sees their gift as more than just simply a matter of great generosity. He says, those Gentile churches, they owe it to the Jewish Christians who are suffering. They owe it. You know, Paul spoke about the debts that we have as Christians back in chapter 13, and now he's giving us here one, one more. The mostly Gentile churches were in debt to their Jewish brothers and sisters because they themselves had come to share in such amazing spiritual blessings through them. You know those promises that we saw to Abraham earlier? That was first and foremost spoken to Abraham and his physical descendants, but now the Gentiles have come to share in that great inheritance. So having received, ultimately, eternal life in Jesus, through the promises that God made to the Jews, and through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, so now Paul says the Gentiles are indebted to them. And it's fitting then that the Gentile church pay their debt of gratitude by supporting those struggling Jewish Christians in a physical way. So what about us? today. Quite a different situation. Should we go out this afternoon and try and find a Jewish church in KL that is struggling and seek to support it? Well, first of all, I'd say good luck uh, on trying to find that church. I think, as we've seen already, that trying to work out who's a Jew and who's a Gentile is pretty tricky these days. You know, very mixed bloodlines. I think we might have uh, Jewish blood in this congregation as well. But if there was a church that we were aware of that is predominantly Jewish and struggling, then yes, I think we would have a duty as a mostly Gentile church here to support them. We would have a debt to them that we should honour. But even if that's not possible, because of our situation today, there is an underlying principle here 
that we should abide by, I think, as Christians. We owe a debt of gratitude to those who brought us the gospel. I believe that I am indebted to my home church all the way back in the UK. The church that ministered the gospel to me when I was a young boy growing up. And so if my church in the UK were struggling and they sent news to me of it, I would see it as my duty where I could to support them in their struggles. Not just as an opportunity to be generous, not just as an opportunity to give a gift because it's the loving thing to do, but because I owe it to them. It's a way in which I can pay back the great debt that I owe of the fact that they ministered the gospel to me and God used them to bring me to repentance and faith in Jesus. To have the promise of eternal life through faith in him. I owe them big time for that. For their faithful gospel witness to me. Now, whether that means just keeping them updated as to how things are going for me out here, or actively serving them in practical ways, either way, I need to honour that debt. How is your relationship with those who ministered the gospel to you, those who God used to bring you to repentance and faith in Jesus? I was actually quite convicted when preparing this sermon of the fact that I need to work on my relationship with my home church back in the UK. I owe that debt to them. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem with this sizable gift. Verse 28, he continues. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So once this great gift has been deposited, Paul hopes to head to Spain and he will briefly visit them on the way. But he has one more thing to say about his trip to Jerusalem before he starts sending the personal greetings in the next chapter. Paul needed prayer. He really needed prayer. Because he knows he could well be heading for some serious trouble. Brings us on to our final heading, Gospel Prayer. We'll read from verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul pleads with the Christians in Rome that they would pray for him as he takes this great gift to Jerusalem. He really needed this prayer. He even appeals to them with the authority he has as an apostle. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus, in the authority that Jesus gave to me. And he appeals to them by the love of the Spirit. They were to pray for him to show their love for Paul as a brother united in the Spirit through the Gospel. Because by doing so, they would be striving with Paul, supporting him in the tough obstacles of his ministry. Uh, you know, hang on. Paul, Paul is going to drop off a massive gift 
to the church in Jerusalem. Now usually when we give rather sizable gifts to someone, we don't expect it to be a a really painful ordeal, do we? Why was Paul's mercy mission to Jerusalem going to be so hazardous? Well, he tells us, he gives us two reasons why he needed prayer. The first one, pretty much, there are lots of angry Jews in Jerusalem who would like to see my head on a platter. His insistence that salvation was now available to both Jew and Gentile by faith in Jesus was deeply offensive to the Jews who had rejected Jesus because they were depending on the law and keeping God's law to be right with God. They hated Paul and they hated this gospel that he preached and they wanted him dead. And then the second reason, he needs prayer that this gift itself would actually be acceptable to the church in Jerusalem. Because they still have to make a decision as to whether the Gentiles have really been included in God's saving purposes in Jesus. They must accept the gospel that Paul has taught us through his letter before they accept this gift from the Gentile church. And friends, both of these issues, they're gospel issues. The gospel is God's power to both save and unite Jew and Gentile in Christ. But it divides families, friends, and even societies in this sinful world as well. When was the last time we prayed for missionaries who are taking this message that could very well lead to them being rejected or even killed to some of the hardest areas in our world today. Paul needed protection, and we can read in the book of Acts that he did receive it. There are missionaries out there, right now, ministering, who need our prayers as a church. As we pray for them, we join with them in their hard work to make the gospel known to those who have not received it, and to those who very well may turn around and refuse them or even kill them for doing so. I just want to recommend a book to you. You might have heard of it before. It's called Operation World. It is a fantastic book full of information on pretty much every country known to man, and it tells us what gospel work is going on in that area as a summary tells us who is working there. tells us what they need our prayers particularly for and how things are going. I heartily recommend it to you to inform your prayers as we join together in praying for missionaries around the world. That they would be protected and that the message that they proclaim would be received and that God would save many through them. Friends, let's just be making a habit of praying for those who are taking the gospel to dangerous places. So in this chapter, Paul has given us four ways, four ways in which we should be responding to God's mercy to us in Jesus. In unity, accepting each other as Christ has accepted us. In service, serving others with the gospel that they themselves might become living sacrifices for God that he would be glorified. In giving, honouring our debt to those who brought us the gospel, that we might have life. And in prayer, praying for those who take the gospel to dangerous places and into dangerous situations, 
so that others might have life and Christ might be the king of all nations. So in view of God's great mercy to us in Jesus, let's be offering up our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him in these ways this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, that though we are totally unworthy as sinners of the salvation you've granted us in him, you have still granted it to us. And Lord, we pray that in the light of what you've taught us by your word in Romans today, you would help us to be striving for that unity that the gospel should bring that we would continue to serve one another in love as Christ has accepted us. Lord, please would you um, help us to be serving that gospel faithfully, uh, to be taking it to those who have not heard it, uh, that you be glorified as they accept it, and they themselves become living sacrifices for you. Lord, would we uh, be honouring the debt that we owe to those who brought us this great gospel, And would we be praying for those who take it out into difficult situations, into those dangerous places, that you will be glorified as Christ's reign is proclaimed over all the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.